read this. It says, uh, share in, in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are soldiers of Jesus Christ. Let's say soldiers. Yeah, we're soldiers of Jesus Christ. Um, no soldier gets entangled in a civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Do you realize you are enlisted? If you didn't know it, when you stuck your hand up and just said, I want to give my life to Jesus, you maybe didn't realize it, but at that point you were being grafted in to Christ and you were enlisting as a soldier in the army of God. Jesus is the captain of the hosts. He's an incredible commander to serve under. It's wonderful to follow him considering all power, all authority, and all glory is in him. It's wonderful to be in that army because you know for sure we might lose a fight here and there, but the battle is won because the fight is fixed. Am I right? And I want to tell you for eternity, you can be assured of this fact. If you're in this army, you're on the winning side. So let's just say amen. 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 So if we look at that word enlisted for a moment, I want to tell you a little bit of a story of my life when I was enlisted. I was a young man of 18 years old writing my matric. And uh, we used to, those years there was no email, there was no WhatsApp, there was no smartphones. And so if, if people wanted to talk to you, you had a little post box at your house. And uh, around the end of the year, you kind of realized that the South African government was about to write you a letter. And that letter was going to send you somewhere, whether you like it or whether you didn't like it. Your choice was either army or jail. There wasn't much uh, else to choose from. And some people went to university to study to get out of it. But when you are intellectually, intellectually challenged like I am, it wasn't an option for me. <laughs> I'd spent my best three years in matric. No, I didn't. But... <laughs> I'd got to the end of matric, I'd written my final exams, I was nowhere near as uh, studious as this young lady here, uh, Julia East has got degrees from here to next year. I was someone <coughs> who three days before my final exams I realized I'm either going to study and live or I'm going to fail and die. That was my motivation because my father was someone who didn't engage with me, he just said to me, you will pass my boy. I knew what that meant. And so when I went to the post box and I opened up the post box, it was a little white letter and at that moment you knew your life was about to change forever because you were being enlisted. And I tore this thing open. And those years, we used to say, the Navy's got the gravy and the Army's got the beans. And I was really hoping for the Navy because I could see myself on the open waters, you know, whole Titanic number. But I was called up to a little town called Potchestroom. I don't even know where Potchestroom was in South Africa. I had no idea. I was in the Western Cape. And there I was, this little 18-year-old matric boy. And I was called up to Potchestroom. And... Uh, I started to prepare myself knowing that when you get to the army, you mustn't have long hair. When you get there, you need to be fit. You need to mix into the crowd. In other words, you've got to kind of stay in the middle. Don't be up front. Don't be at the back, but stay in the middle and stay low. Because my brother had been to the army and his friends, and they were giving me advice. Be careful when you go to the army how you position yourself. And so that time quickly went by, and I got my little case, and I put a, few, a little bit of pre-nutri and a few chocolate bars in to stay alive. I heard the army food wasn't great. And I got on a train 
in Weinberg with most probably one and a half hour, thousand other young boys. We piled into this train like a bunch of cattle, and we went clickety-clack, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Actually, we came on this railway line past Wellington and up to Potchestroom. I immediately knew when I got on this train that my life had changed forever, that I had been enlisted. And I want you to realize that when you come to Christ, you're enlisted, and your life changes forever. You might not realize it in the beginning, but soon when you get to army base, you know your life has changed. And I remember as I got to the army base, got there late the night, issued our gear, and the next morning we were standing in a platoon. Uh, they divided us up into about 42 people in a platoon, and we were part of a company, and I was standing there with my jeans and my little two oceans t-shirt and my white tackies, really wet behind the ears, and staring at this corporal walking up and down, shouting profanity, uh, and calling us everything under the sun, and I kind of realized at that moment it hit me. I was either going to stand up for something, or I was going to fall for everything. You, you're going to make a choice in your life to stand for something, or you will fall for everything. And, you know, when I stood over there, and I was looking at this young corporal walking up and down, breaking the third commandment. Who knows what the third commandment is? You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. It's called blasphemy. And this young guy was up and down there, and blasphemy was like his second hobby in life. He was using the Lord's name in vain, and I stood there and I thought, okay, here goes. I need to stand for something. I'm in an army. I need to stand. And so I walked out the ranks up to this corporal, and uh, I said to him, excuse me, sir, but could I have a word with you? <laughs> and I knew at this moment I was setting myself up with something, and I looked at him, and this is basically what I said to him as best as I can remember. I said, corporal, I have come here to be trained in the South African Defense Force. And I'm happy that you trained me as hard as you want. And in actual fact, you can kill me if you want. And some people did die. You need to know that in training, in our time as well, in my month that I was there. I said, but one thing I'm going to ask you, please do not use God's name in vain in front of me. I said, because every time you blaspheme God, I take that personally. And he's my God and I love him and I serve him. And I'm going to ask you, don't use God's name in vain in front of me again. And the shock that came over this guy's face, the absolute horror that came over his face, and he told me to get back into the ranks in the most definite of ways. And I stood there and I realized I've just stuck, you know, like a cross. If you look through a scope, the cross says, I'd stuck it on my head and I had to stand for something. I had to stand for something. In a very wicked world, I had to stand for something. And I decided to stand for the Lord. And I want to tell you, my next three months was hell on earth. It really was. It was most probably three of the most difficult months of my life. Um, they would train us hard, but he would train me extra hard. If I lay on my bed at, at, on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday, he'd walk up while I'm sleeping, he'd hit me in my chest so hard that I would come out of my sleep. 
Um, he would take my, my, my gifts from the home and he would tear open my letters and throw it in the mud. He would eat the food that my mother had sent to me. And he would put me up on a, on a generator in front of the platoon and he would look at me and he would point to me in front of these 41 other men. He says, he's the reason why I train you so hard. He's, he's the reason. This is the rubbish. You see this man standing here? It's because of him. So you can imagine what my next three months looked like. It was a terrible three months. But I want to just tell you, it's amazing how God vindicated me in that situation. We're very soonly after that, they chose people for junior leaders. Uh, I was chosen as a junior leader, not by him. He was seething. He, was, he really hated me. And, um, and yet, very shortly after that, some training, they gave me rank. I became an officer in the military. And it was very interesting to know that this young guy that despised me and hated me and did everything to make my life a misery would have to stand to attention and salute me because God had given me authority. And so I want to say this to you. I'm telling you this very brief story to tell you that you've got to stand for something. We live in a world today that you are challenged on every area and every front. You are surrounded by evil. You're surrounded by everything that is wrong. And I don't need to go and talk to you about everything that we're facing in today's world. But even especially the young people, I don't grow up with the challenges that you grow up with. But everything that is wrong and evil, you face and if you don't make that stand in your life, if you don't stand for something, in, some, in this case it's someone, if you don't stand for Christ, having done all to stand, stand firm, I'm telling you now, it's only a matter of time and you will be washed away. And I want to preach this morning just a little bit about faith and, and, uh, and fight the good fight of faith. And we read obviously in Timothy, we read some have made shipwreck of their faith. Do you realize your faith can be shipwrecked? Do you know that? Some people have wandered from the faith, Timothy says. So they've moved away from the faith. Some have departed from the faith. Some have swerved from the faith. And others have been disqualified from the faith. Do you realize? Now, I know some of you Calvinists are a little bit shaking at this stage. But I want you to consider everything that I've said there. I'm reading you out of 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 5, 4, 6, and so on. So what does it involve to fight this good fight of faith? What does it involve? It says this, and I want to read this. Fighting the good fight of faith, listen to this, involves running from sin. Fighting the good fight of faith involves running from sin. Sin is not your pet that you take out and stroke every now and then. You are to run from sin. Secondly, you are to pursue things. It's a fleeing and it's a pursuit. So from one set of things you're fleeing and for others you are pursuing. And in pursuing, you've got to pursue righteousness. You've got to pursue godliness. You've got to pursue faith. You've got to pursue love. You've got to pursue endurance. You've got to pursue gentleness. Fighting the good fight of faith is about making a choice. You are there to make a choice to pursue God's will and a life of faith on a daily basis. Just by the very nature that it's a fight, it means that believing will not be easy. Do you realize that? 
It won't always feel natural. It's not going to be organic and effortless. We could never earn the love of Christ, but following Him will often be harder than we expect or want. Can I say that again? Listen carefully. That we could never earn the love of Christ, but following Him will often be harder than what we expect or want. For me, my journey has been 50 years. It's been a long time. The Israelites were longer, were shorter in the desert than what I have been serving the Lord. And I want to tell you, my 50 years, I want to tell you, I've come to realize it. it's often harder than what we expect. But we are soldiers enlisted into an army, and what we need to do is stand. And we not only need to stand, sometimes we need to flee, and other times we need to pursue. We are given four directives that I just want to unpack for a moment in the scripture in Timothy. And the first one I just want to say is this word flee. In Timothy we read this, God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord, if you name Jesus, if Jesus is found on your lips, if Jesus is this name that you find to be above every name that is beautiful and pure and holy and true, then I want to say to you, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to depart from iniquity. You need to depart from sin. Verse 22 says, flee youthful passions. If you wait, youthful, wave your hand at me. Come, wave your hand if you're youthful. That's you. Flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Verse 26 says that they may come to their senses. And that they may escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you realize there's a trap set for you by the enemy in this fight? In this fight, in this faith fight, there's, there's a trap that the enemy sets for you. And do you realize you have a very real enemy? And we're going to get to that a little bit later on this preach, but that you have a very real enemy. Amen? You know, when you're in warfare, and we studied two kinds of warfare. The one is what they call conventional warfare, and the other one is what you call uh, a terrorist warfare. Terrorist warfare, you can't really see what uniform you wear. You kind of blend in, and then the conventional warfare, you've got a uniform. And if everyone sees you, you know, okay, you're part of that army, okay? And so what you need to realize is that you've got a real enemy. The enemy knows what you are covered and what you are clothed in. He sees you. He sees what you are clothed in. And so he knows what you stand for. And because he knows what you stand for, he is a real enemy to you and he will come after you. So on the one thing we need to flee and on the other side we need to pursue. And in pursuit, for a moment, I want to talk about pursuing righteousness. That which is righteous, to do what is right, 
godliness, pursue faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. In Corinthians 13, we read this, it says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, but, the, but um, uh, abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Immediately in the first verse of the 14th chapter, we read, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. There's a pursuit after love. It's not something that comes naturally. When you're being harmed, you've got to pursue love. It's not always easy. I recently went through something where I had to make a choice to pursue love. It wasn't easy for me because the person was wronging me and being difficult to me and being unreasonable with me. And he, in a sense, was completely violating my legal rights. And I had to make a choice to pursue love. And I wrote to him in a mail, I want you to know, Jesus says, I must love my neighbor. And so I want you to know I love you. I'm not going to tell you his reply, but... <laughs> but I had to make a choice to love. And that to love cost me something. It cost me something. It wasn't easy. And it's not always easy to love, but Jesus says, pursue love. In verse uh, 7 of Corinthians, we read, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things, and love endures all things. And like I previously mentioned to you, in love endures all things, it's a military term. It's a military term. So soldiers, listen up. This is important. It's a military term, love endures things. And what it talks about, Paul talks about four things about love, and they're not separate, and they all go together. But this thing that love endures all things is a military term. It means to hold a position. So if you can imagine that we're on a hill, and we're fighting a battle, and we've got this little, let's say, structure around us, and we are taking enemy fire and mortars and bullets are flying and we are got our rifles over the edge and we bang, 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 we're shooting, we're taking fire and we are the last outpost in the town. We are the very last few left. And when they conquer us in that spot, in that place, that town has fallen to the enemy. Love endures all things and you need to position yourself to endure when you're in that situation and to fight with everything that is within you. Fight for your marriage. When your marriage takes fire, fight for your marriage. When your children take fire at school, fight for them. And when I say fight, that means in Christ, in Jesus. That doesn't mean you pick up your guns and your, you know, but you fight in Him. You fight for your child's life, in a sense. You fight for their purity. It's important. And so when you're found in that position, and you're back to back, you find love endures all things. The next directive that we're given in that Timothy verse is this, this, um, this word fight. And in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, we read, This I charge and I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. <laughs> this I charge, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. 
By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So hold that line. Wage the good way. I want to remind you this is a good fight. This is not a bad fight. This is a fight you want to be in. Because I want to remind you in the beginning I told you that if you remain in him and in the fight, the fight is fixed and you will win. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 16 it says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Come on. Men. Say, yeah. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love, people. In the last of these four directions, it talks about seizing Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold. You know, when you take hold of something, it, says, it means to seize of the eternal life to which you were called. Do you realize that you were called to eternal life? And you've got to lay hold of it. You've got to seize it. You've got to grab it. You've got to hold on. You know, all I want to say, if we were on a plane flying at, let's say, 10,000 feet, and we were dropping into a military zone as a parabat, and all that stood between you and them scraping you off the tarmac like a lump of strawberry jam was a parachute, you would hold on for dear life. You would hold, you would seize and hold on, because that which stands between you and literally stepping into eternity is that parachute. And I want to ask you that you need to hold on, stand firm. Fight the good fight of faith. I previously just alluded to this, but I want to touch on this quickly, on this thing of the enemies of our faith. I think for me, in, in many of my, let's say, conversations that I have with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis... I often look at their lives and I consider the mess that their lives are in. Tragic situations, really tragic situations where people, where they, where they gave up on the fight, where they thought they never had an enemy. And I see their lives broken. I see marriages falling apart. I see children torn apart. And I realize that people don't realize that you've got an enemy. People don't realize that you've got a very real enemy. And so I want to just mention something about the enemies of our faith before I finish this morning. And I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord, verse 10, and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you realize the devil is scheming? And do you realize he's a very powerful being? You need to know that. A guy wrote a book, Afrikaans book. It says, um, what is the title of the book? The Devil is It. I can't In other Volar stories. It basically alluded to this thing of the devil is like kind of a nobody. You know? And it's not really true. You need to know that. He's real. And he's a very real enemy. I love what Andrew said even at the elders meeting recently. He says, you know, just remember who your enemy is and be careful. 
Stand in Christ and in Him alone. Try, try to deal with the enemy by yourself. I'll have to find the title of that book. It's very interesting that they wrote. Finally, be strong in the Lord. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And he repeats himself, put on the armor that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand firm. Do you realize we live in evil days? You only have to uh, pick up your smartphone to know what we're facing on the planet today. But I want to encourage you. There's a good fight. And when you're in him, when you're in him, you're safe. One of the enemies of our faith is unbelief. I want to remind you, saints, church, that you're called to be a believer, not a doubter. You're called to believe. Believe, contend for, pray. Don't just give up. Keep praying, keep trusting. Deal with unbelief as a sin in life. Deal with it and choose to believe. Fear is an enemy of our lives that we live in. Jesus very clearly says, do not worry or be anxious about anything. And yet when I speak to people, I often hear them say, I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that, and I'm worried about the next thing, and I'm anxious about this. And I think to myself, and then the word, opgevolgd met hierdie sinnekie, ek is maar net mens. Sure. And I think to myself often, do you realize who you are? Do you know what Christ has done for you? Do you realize all authority in heaven has been given to you? I, I think of this and I think, sure, guys, come. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. You know your life is set out for you. You know the end of the fight. You might get a bit of a broken leg here and there, but I want you to know the fight is fixed. Pride. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Be careful of pride in your life. The moment you start feeling good about yourself, it's only a matter of time. The enemy will use that very thing against you. Do nothing from selfish ambitions. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. We're talking about the enemy of, of your faith is pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do you do that? Do you count others more significant than yourselves? Or do you think you're better or know better or have a greater theology? Be careful, people, of pride. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have you considered that? Looking out for the interests of others, putting others ahead of you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking this form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
One of the last enemies that I just want to deal with is this enemy of false doctrine. In 2 Peter 2 verse 1, we read this. And just before I read it, you know, it's for me such an interesting thing. We, we're, we're living in an age of, of technology where knowledge or the gain of knowledge is an insatiable desire for the gain of knowledge. Everybody wants to listen to their favorite YouTube podcast, whatever. And you know what I mean? We all know what grace means. But let me just go and check these 10 guys in case they've got a different view so that I can stand up and give an account of myself. There's such an insatiable desire for knowledge. And you can, it's at the click of your finger. But what I want to tell you, in false doctrine and in that knowledge, just remember when you were children, it was a spoons full of sugar that made the medicine go down, medicine go down. Mary Poppins, anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the enemy doesn't rock up at your front door with a pitchfork, a pair of horns and a red cape. He's often sent there as a very good looking young man. Watch out, girls. <laughs> Watch out for that rice, Deborah, when that comes. He sugarcoats it. He, he, he often takes theology, and I can think of someone now, right now in my mind, I won't mention his name, but we all know his doctrine is false, but not all of it. I tell you, 90% of it would go, that's next level. But it's that 10% poison that he mingles into that thing that often takes you astray. So be careful of false doctrine. But false prophets also arose among the people, Peter writes, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. I want to just end off with this. In 2 Timothy 4, we find this. In verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I don't know what your desire is when you get to the end of your life. For me, that is getting older and grayer around the gills and kind of staring, you know, as I, as I go forward. And I realize there's far less in front of me that is now behind me. I often consider this, the scripture, I have fought the good fight. I've stood firm. I've cemented my feet in Christ. I have chosen in my life to go away from that which is ungodly and run to what which is godly. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Is that something that's going to be said of each and every one sitting here this morning? Are you going to get to the end of your life and say, I've kept the faith? I mean, what a beautiful thing to to say, I've kept the faith. When everything around you just rages. In finishing this morning, this just brief encouragement to fight the good fight of faith this morning, I felt really just to um, speak really to some of the younger ones here that are amongst us this morning. The youngs, the, the teenagers, the teeny boppers. Opa Dirkie will eat say for ochend. I love old Prince. Uh, he's not here with us, but he's now in Johannesburg. And he always calls me Grandpa. Hello, Grandpa. I said, well, I'm almost, I'm not a Grandpa yet in the natural. I'm looking forward to the day when I am a Grandpa, I'll be honest. 
really looking forward to it. But in some sense, in a spiritual sense, I am a grandpa. I'm a bit of a grandfather in the faith, and, and I, I, can, I can say look at my life, because I've, I've fought many battles, uh, and, and, I, and I stand in front of you really, you know, yeah, I know you think I'm really good looking and <laughs> polished and, you know, thanks, Matt. But if you could see in the spirit, you'd see many wounds and many scars. I remember when I fought one of my greatest battles of my life. Uh, around the death of my wife, not Teresa, she's still there. She's the living dead. She's a living sacrifice. <laughs> sure, and loving you look beautiful this morning, I might just say. Doesn't she look beautiful this morning? Yeah. Yeah. She's wearing a scarf that her son bought her in India and a jacket that her husband bought her because he loves her, so... But, you know, as a, as a grandfather in a sense, I mentioned that one of my most difficult things in my life is when I lost my wife at a very young age. And around that time, I had a, a dream or a vision. I can't remember. It's a many, long time ago. But I woke up, and if you can imagine those old soldiers with a coat of mail, you know those rings, they had these coats that they put over, coat of mail. It's a very heavy thing. If you watch Russell Crowe, The Gladiator, maybe you can watch it. It's very gory. But they had these coats of mail that they would wear. And I woke up with a dream, and all I could see, I was caked in blood from the top of my head. In other words, the blood had just mingled through. I'd fought, and, and my sword had become uh, uh, um, um, uh, dried in blood to my hand. I couldn't release the sword anymore. I woke up with this dream as I was fighting for my wife to live through cancer and come out the other side healed, and, and, and I fought. And uh, I fasted, and I prayed, and I prayed a lot. I prayed in the night, I prayed in the morning. I walked around her when she'd come home, and I would pray, and I'd drive to the hospitals, and I'd pray, and I'd be in the wards, and I'd pray, and I fought. And the Lord showed me, even though, in a sense, the fight was lost, but the fight was fixed, because today she's in glory. And I realized, as a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've fought many battles. I've had many scars. But I can come to the end of, well, let's not hope the end of my life. Hey, my lovely, let's just, my, my wife shaking her head. You want me to still be around? That's wonderful, my sweetheart. But, but I've come and I can say I, fight the, I fought the good fight. And young people, I want to encourage you to fight. I want to encourage you to stand for something. I want to remind you that you only have one life. You've got one life to live. Can I ask as a father in this house, as a grandpa, make your life count. Can I just for a moment tell you that the world has actually got nothing to offer you? If only you knew what I knew. If you knew what I knew, if I could download my brain. I hope you've got a big enough hard drive. I'm just saying. But if I could download it, and you knew what I knew, you would realize that the world has nothing to offer you. Absolutely nothing. In that regard, live pure. Take your purity seriously. I explained it to my son this way. I said, my boy, one day when you walk down, or you're waiting for your bride up front there, 
There you are waiting for her. And da 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 that's, the, that's my anthem. We did a different one. We did Agnes Dea, eh, my lovey. But, and your wife comes down there. You don't want to see her stop at this gentleman and whisper to him, hey, it was really fun in the back of the car that night, eh, but I'm marrying him. Eh? Can't, we can't go into that. And she keeps walking down the aisle. And then she stops at this one and says, you remember when we dated and we had that fling we were in the movies? And then she comes to her husband and says, here am I. Come on, young people. I want you to think about this. Treat your sisters as sisters. Live a life of purity. Make that choice. And don't tell me it can't be done. Because when I got married at 26, I had lived a life of purity. And I could say to my wife, I'm giving myself to you. So I want to encourage you young people. Fight that fight. Don't give up and, and decide that, you know, at the end of the day, well, everybody does it. You've got one life. Make it count. I want to remind you of something. I've only got two more things to go. You will stand and give an account to God, the eternal judge. It's appointed for man to die and then the judgment. Do you realize that? Now, I don't know about you. I've been in court and I've won my case. It's quite intimidating to go into court and sit in front of a judge knowing that this guy can say to you, so many years in jail or a fine or whatever. It's quite intimidating to appear before an earthly judge. To appear before God, who is the judge of all the ages, I think is a frightful and a terrifying thing. If you are not in Christ at that point, if you don't know who you are, be careful. Because in that court, there's no court of appeal. Do you know what that means? That there's no court of appeal. Do you know in South Africa, if you go before a judge, yeah, let's say we go to Wellington, I've done a speeding fine and whatever, and, and now I appear before a court. It's a junior court. And if I don't like the ruling of that judge, I appeal to a higher court. And then you get the Supreme Court. I'm not sure what the highest court in the land, it could be the Constitutional, I'm not sure. But you can appeal to a higher court. But when you stand before God one day, there will be no court of appeal. Do you realize that? I want to remind you of that. In the way you live your life before Him. In the way you live your life before Him, there's no court of appeal. So make sure that when you repent of your sin, don't be like a dog that returns to its vomit. Just remember, repentance is not confession, people. Can I remind you of that? Walk away. Flee, flee, youthful lust. Fight the good fight of faith. Lastly, feels like I'm in a, I nearly mentioned a, a church name that I can't, it's got very quiet. <laughs> I want to bring a bit of attention or balance. Andrew used my 
my, my picture. I must go and speak to him about it. Next time, must, oh, no, I'm teasing. I preached on the balance beam about two weeks earlier on in another context. I was talking about this balance beam, being on the balance beam. A tightrope walker walks on a rope, and he has a very long beam, and that beam is weighted. And as, as you go going off to the left, you weighted to the right. So it's a balance beam. The Bible says be well-balanced, sober-minded. I want to ask this to young guys. Listen to this. In believing God loves you, and he does, I want to not to lose sight of this, that he disciplines those whom he loves. Remember that. Remember your balance in life. Remember the balance beam in life. And just in ending off this morning, you know, I, I prepared a completely different message, but I felt in the back of what Chris had preached on faith and what Mo's preaching as us as an army, I want to encourage every one of us here this morning to realize that you're enlisted into this army, that this is a very real fight and I want you to fight with everything that's within you and make your life count. Make your life count. It's a beautiful fight. But fight for every inch. When the devil wants to serve something up at you at a table, don't just swallow it. Resist him. Stand firm in Christ. And follow him with everything you have. Fight the good. Fight of faith, people. It's a beautiful fight to fight. And you know, in this world, whether you're in the fight or out the fight, you're in the fight. That's just the truth of it. I love what Wilmer Ray said. He says, many people are in the faith but not in the fight. And so what they say, he's saying in that is that people are in that place where they believe in Jesus, but they're not fighting. They're not contending for. They're not holding the line. And as Mo so nicely said when he ran his flag up here, and he had, I think it was Kristen that charged, and Mo was shouting, George! I want to encourage you guys, hold that line. Hold your line. Young guys, young ladies, hold your line. Older people, hold your line. Stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. I wonder if we can stand this morning.